1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we'll start reading in verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. This year as we talk about the subject of faith, I think it's necessary that we take a few messages and speak on the inspiration and preservation of the Word of God because faith starts with God's Word. Never before have I seen the kind of attack that we are facing in this day and age against the Word of God and the undermining, not just by the world, not just by theologians, not by other religions, but even those in our own ranks, even those in the independent fundamental Baptist movement that have moved away from this controversial subject. Years ago, you would have went to an independent Baptist church. You entered knowing that that church believed and preached the King James Bible. They believed in the inspiration of the Word of God, the preservation of God's Word. Now you don't know. If you travel and visit churches, you have no idea what version they will use or what they believe. Or even if they preach out at the King James Bible, there's no guarantee that they actually believe it is God's inerrant, infallible, holy word. Now here's the root problem. Satan from the very beginning started his attack on the word of God in Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve. And that's the way he got to Eve was by undermining her faith in the Word of God by creating doubt, by saying, Yea, hath God said. And really when we talk about the Word of God, putting our faith in the Word of God, here's what Paul said to the church here at Thessalonica. He said, When I preached the Word, here's what made me excited. Ye received it not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth the Word of God. He said, it brought joy to my heart to know that when I brought the scripture. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think that Paul had brought or found one of the originals and was using it as he preached in this congregation? Do you think he actually carried with him an original written by Moses or even Jeremiah or Isaiah, David or Job? No. And using that, he said, you know this is the very word of God. And uh, here's what makes me nervous. We were in uh, foreign countries for the first 15 or 16 years of our ministry. And a foreign country is very different from the mentality and the culture that's found in the United States of America. America is no longer a Christian nation. I think you know that. I think you... No, a nation now that abhors the word of God and Bible principle that exalts homosexuality and abortion is a long way from the principles of this book. But many of our students, after having graduated from high school, they went to public universities and did well as Christians in those environments. They even thrived, they grew, they won souls, got out, went to the work of God and did okay as Christians. I'm not seeing that happen in the United States of America. If you travel around and talk to pastors, you'll find out there's nothing that destroys the faith of a Christian like going to a public university for four years. Here's what makes me nervous, even in our churches. 
men have stopped preaching it. People have stopped believing it. And if they talk about inspiration and preservation, normally they're talking about the originals. There's only one problem. Let me ask you, if we talk about the Bible being inspired and you think I'm talking about the originals, how many of you sitting here have seen one of the originals? If you saw it, would you even recognize it? If you recognized it, could you even read it? No. Aren't you glad God's not limited to the originals? Isn't it amazing to think that someone would actually believe Genesis chapter 1, that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, but they can't find it in their heart to believe that God could actually inspire a book and use fallible men to write an infallible book? You're saying my God is limited in what he can do or can't do. God is so limited that he could actually inspire his word and get it to men, but he's not capable of preserving what he gave to men in the first place. You serve a pretty small God. Now, really this boils down to one root idea, one root principle, and that is the principle of final authority. And here's why people stop preaching inspiration and preservation of this book. Because man wants to be the final authority. Man doesn't want to be told what to do. Now, this is a Baptist distinctive. As Baptists, we believe this book is our sole and final authority. So before you ever get into an argument with someone over the word of God, the first question you need to ask them is, do you believe the Bible is your sole authority in all matters of faith and practice. If they don't believe that, there's no reason for you to get into any argument. Because this book should guide everything that we say and believe and think and practice. And what this church does should be based on this book, not be based on denominational practices or traditions, habits, or customs shouldn't be based on what you did 20 years ago or what your previous church did, but what does the Word of God say? Very few people want to know what the Word of God says. The Word of God makes us uncomfortable. Now, here's why I believe in inspiration. Inspiration has everything to do with the Holy Spirit, and we'll explain it in just a minute. But when we talk about inspiration, we're talking about God breathed, the Holy Spirit's involved. And here's the problem with the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is involved working through the Word. Your flesh doesn't like that. And here's what I like about the Holy Spirit. He is alive in this book, working in our lives. And folks... Why in the world would we have a church? Why in the world would we operate a ministry that wasn't based on the Bible? There are thousands, literally thousands of churches spread across this nation that are clubs, that are gatherings, that are rock concerts, that are social events. And now the preacher doesn't even open a Bible. Why bother? The preacher doesn't even read verses. This book is inspired. It's God-breathed. It's full of the Holy Spirit, and that's what's going to have a lasting impact in your life. Not something that a preacher says. Not something that an orator states. But something written in the Word of God. Now, when we're talking about inspiration, 
one of the things that I've seen disputed most heatedly over the past 10 years is the subject of inspiration, even among independent Baptists, trying to define the true meaning of inspiration. I, don't, I think we overcomplicate it. I mean, if you look at the Bible example, inspiration in this book simply means God got involved, the Holy Spirit got involved, taking over the hearts and the minds and even the hands of men and guiding them to write the very word of God. Now, those 66 books, these books that we hold in our hand, Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, the books in the New Testament starting with Matthew all the way to Revelation, those books, God used normal, ordinary men to do something extraordinary. Now, I know some people think that inspiration means that God basically gave them an idea and allowed them to include their personality in the writings. I have a problem with that because the Bible says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is established in heaven. I believe before they ever wrote it, it was already written. They couldn't mess it up. Can you imagine a man like Peter, a fisherman, an unlearned, unschooled, uneducated man, trying to write two books like we see, First and Second Peter? Have you ever read the Old Testament? prophecies, do you think Daniel understood what he was writing about? Do you really believe that those prophets that were prophesying of the second coming, the tribulation, the rapture, the millennial kingdom, how many of you have read the Old Testament prophets, especially Isaiah, all of those scripture that talk about the millennial kingdom, what about Ezekiel 37 and 38, the battle of Gog and Magog, do you think Ezekiel understood what he was writing when he wrote about the details of the battle of Gog and Magog? Do you think Isaiah understood what he was writing when he wrote the prophetic scripture that we see in Isaiah 53? They didn't understand what they were writing. They didn't have to understand. God said, I will literally use your tongue as the pen of a ready writer, as David wrote in Psalms 45. He said, you can't even mess this up. You hold the pen, I'll move it on the scroll and allow you to put your name up there. Now this world laughs, this world mocks, but you've experienced it, you've read it, you've understood it. It's changed your life, it's guided you. Those principles have helped you in your home, in your marriage, in your Christian walk. It's helped you avoid the pitfalls of life and sin so you know there is something supernatural about this book. But this world has been told from kindergarten all the way through college that this is antiquated, out of date, of no use. Oh, it has a little bit of historical value, but outside of that, it is basically useless. These are the very words of God. Amen. And every time I find that there is sin in people's lives, arguments against something that is done in this church, I've yet to have someone come to me with an argument out of the word of God and say, preacher, why is it that we do this? Doesn't the Bible say? Never, 
ever in my ministry, if I had someone come to me with that question, they always say, preacher, I don't agree with you. Okay, that's fine. Biblically, why don't you agree with what we're doing? Okay, I understand you have an opinion. But biblically, well, you know, so you're hoping to debate opinions. I'm sorry, I won't do that. I don't have the time or the desire. We're supposed to be biblically based. This, is, this book is supposed to be our sole authority. No man can be our authority. This book is supposed to be our sole authority. Holding the position as your pastor, I can't stand up here and preach my opinion as if it were the guiding truth for this church. I don't have that authority. I've stepped outside my bounds of authority. This book is our authority. And it's our authority because it's inspired. I am not inspired. I am not infallible. I am not inerrant, contrary to popular belief. <laughs> this book is. Now, I want you to get ready to look at a lot of verses because I've heard people talk about inspiration preservation in these subjects, and they always try to give an example. They always try to use human reasoning. They always, folks, go to the book. God said this is inspired. Why do you believe it's inspired? Because it's changed people's lives and because the revivals and because, no, 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 all those things are great and those are extra reasons. But I believe this book is inspired because God said it's inspired. How many of you ever read 2 Timothy 3.16? You stumbled across that text. All scripture is given. Is. How many of you noticed that wasn't past tense? is given by inspiration and is profitable. Why is scripture profitable? Now, let me ask you this. Who, who wrote that? Who did God use to write that? Paul. Who is he writing it to? Timothy. So here he is with the book of Psalms or the books of the law. Were those originals? So when he was saying all scripture is inspired, was he talking about the originals? This we know he was definitely reading a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. 1,500 years later, how many copies had been finished before Timothy got his hands on a copy of the Word of God? Paul said, all Scripture, even this, is given by inspiration and is profitable. Now, this is where our faith starts, and this is where faith is attacked. And every time I watch someone go astray, when people get into sin and when people lose the faith, it's always the same root problem. They got away from this book. That's why I can't preach it hard enough. That's why I can't yell it loud enough. Get in the book. Read the book. Memorize the book. Study the book. Meditate on the book. Make it a part of your daily life because as soon as you get away, listen, your mind, your emotions, everything that you are, your flesh is out of control and this book is the only thing that controls it. Your thinking will go so far astray so quickly if you're not daily in that book. How many know what I'm talking about? How many ever took a few days off? He thought, wow, I'm sure not, something's wrong. I'm not thinking straight here. How many of you ever been around a Christian that started talking crazy? You know, don't give them a platform. Ask them. How's your Bible reading? It's always the same. There's no exceptions. It's always the same answer. And they try to make it look pretty. 
I still read. So tell me about your Bible reading. I still read. Okay, what do you, what do you read? What do you read today? Well, I haven't read today. So, well, you know, I have been kind of jumping around. So, so where have you been jumping? Not in this book. You can tell by the way someone talks whether or not they're in the book. You've got to keep your mind straight in a wicked world. And the only way to do that is get in an inspired book, which means the Holy Spirit's involved. You know why Louis L'Amour doesn't change your life? Not inspired. I like Maxwell. How many like self-help books? I like Maxwell. How many ever read one of Maxwell's leadership books? You ought to read some. It's some great material. But you know what? Maxwell has not revolutionized or changed my life because it's not inspired. This book is inspired. And it will change your life. Now this is, this is inspiration. Look what it says in 2 Peter 1.21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. Now how much more clear can the scripture be than that? It wasn't Moses that said, you know what I think I'm going to write today? It wasn't any of these men that sat down and decided to pen a book of the Bible. It was God who sat them down. Can you imagine it as they're writing? Those that could read. So writing, they're reading it. That's interesting. Wow. I've always wondered what went through Moses' mind when he wrote, Moses was the meekest man that ever... He's like, whoa, whoa. Put a period right there. Lord, I can't keep that. <laughs> um, you're not going to state anywhere in this book that I wrote that, right? Yeah, I'm going to let people know you wrote that. <laughs> the meekest man that ever lived would not write that he was the meekest man that ever lived. Right? And then Moses said, God, is there any way we could change that to weakest? <laughs> God said, no, Moses, we're going to leave it just like that. It wasn't what man willed, but holy men of God spake. Now, here's inspiration. What's the Bible say? As they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now, here's one of the best illustrations of inspiration in all the Bible. Go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 10. The Bible gives us an illustration. Twice we see it in the life of Saul. Saul was a regular man chosen by God to be the first king of Israel. The Bible says in verse 9, 1 Samuel 10, 9, and it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave Saul another heart. Look what happens in verse 10. And when they came thither to the hill, behold, a company of prophets met him, the Spirit of God. Now, this is the only way that Scripture takes place. We're going to see inspiration take place. The Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it came to pass, when all that knew him before time saw that, behold, he prophesied among the prophets. Then the people said one to another, What is this that is come unto the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Now, let me ask you this. Was Saul controlling his thoughts, controlling his speech, controlling what was said and done at that moment? God literally took control of this man, gave him his thoughts and his words. Saul couldn't mess up if he tried because God had taken control of him. 
Go with me to Numbers chapter 22. Numbers chapter 22, verse 27. How many of you remember Balaam? Balaam was a prophet, and he was influenced by money. King came into town and said, I want you to prophesy against Israel. And he said, let me think about it. And he pulled out a bag of coins, and Balaam said, I'm done praying and thinking, and let's go ahead and go prophesy. But he was going against the will of the Lord. So here's what God did. Verse, let's start at verse 27. When the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and he smote the ass with a staff. Now this is inspiration. Look what it says in verse 28. The Lord opened the mouth of the ass, and she said unto Balaam, What have I done unto thee that thou smitest me these three times? Now, how many of you have ever heard an animal talk? I'm not talking about the movies you watch. I'm talking about real life. How many of you think those were the thoughts that went through that ass's mind? No. God said, I'm going to control your mouth and the sounds that come out of your mouth and the words. This is called inspiration. God can use anybody or anything he desires to use. What's funny is Balaam actually responds to his donkey. How stupid would that look? Balaam said to the ass, because thou hast mocked me, I would there were a sword in my hand, for now would I kill thee. And the ass speaks back and says to Balaam, Am not I thine ass, upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine unto this day? Was I ever wont to do so unto thee? And he said, Nay. Now he's talking like the donkey. <laughs> Here's a conversation between a man and a donkey. There's an obvious illustration here of inspiration because God can use anybody or anything to state his word. And in this case, he used Balaam's ass. Now, when we're talking about inspiration, how many of you have ever heard the this terminology use verbal inspiration. Verbal, plenary. Verbal inspiration means the very words of God are written down in Scripture, that the Scripture that we have in our hands are the very written words of God. We don't have to doubt. We don't have to wonder, what did God want us to know? What did God want us to read? Or what did God want us to hear? God said... I will give you my very words. Look with me in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 10. I'll give you an illustration of what we're talking about. The Lord delivered unto me two tables of stone, written with the very finger of God, and on them was written according to all the words which the Lord spake with you in the mount, out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. Look what it says. You can look up here on the screen. Matthew chapter 24, verse 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but look at the next two words. My words. How many of you understand that you hold in your hand the very words of God? The maker of the universe is giving you his written word. My words shall not pass away. Away. Now, here's what people do. They like to say, well, is that the King James, the New King James, the Authorized Version, the uh, 
uh, New American Standard. What are we talking about when we're talking about God's Word? Now, here's what God did. God used ordinary men. And here's the problem most people have. They, they like to think that God was big enough to inspire his word, just not big enough to keep it. Do you know God always uses man, and he is so big and so mighty and so powerful, he doesn't even need man to be perfect. He doesn't even need man to be qualified. He said, I'll just use anybody I want to use. Education or no education. Look what the Bible says in Psalm 68, 11. The Lord gave the word. Now, how much more clear could it be than this? The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those that published it. Who gave us this book? God. Oh, there's a multitude of people that published it. Not just those that wrote it, but copied it. Thankfully, God used a lot of men, scribes, down through the years. The church, look what the Bible says in 2 Samuel 23, 2. The Spirit of the Lord spake by me and his word. This is David speaking. His word was in my tongue. David knew, writing those psalms, that he wasn't intelligent enough to actually write, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That beautiful psalm that people have quoted for years and sung about and so often shared. That wasn't David. That was the Holy Spirit of the Lord speaking by David. His word was in David's tongue. Look what it said in Jeremiah 1, 4. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Jonah 1, 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Maitai, saying, Haggai 1.3. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying. Now, this is repeated throughout Scripture. We just put a few up here on the board for you to see that God made it very clear, I am the author of this book. Now, when we're talking about inspiration and preservation, these are inseparable doctrines. You cannot separate the two. And let me ask you this. Here's what I can understand. Some that will defend the inspiration of the Scriptures, but they won't defend the preservation of the Scriptures. That makes no sense. So you're saying that only those that received an original actually had the Word of God. So if God didn't preserve His, His Word, how long was it preserved until that original was destroyed? Or was it good for one copy or five copies? Or since you are the official poobah of Scripture, how many copies were of value? So number seven, after number seven, now it's no longer good. After the 12th copy, the 20th copy, after five years, 100 years, 500 years, at what point did it become useless? Now, here's the point when it comes to inspiration that everyone has to understand. Turn to Psalms chapter 12. Psalms Chapter 12, you'll be off on the doctrine of preservation until you understand whose job it is to preserve the scriptures. Psalms 12, the words of the Lord. We're reading in verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words as silver dried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them. Look what it says. From this generation forever. Do you think God wanted one generation to have his word? 
Do you think God wanted only the Israelites or only those during the time of Christ or only those during the time of the apostles to have the written word of God? No, he wanted every generation to have his word. So he said, I will be the custodian. Now, here's what we do know. We do know the Old Testament. Now, once again, you have to understand, when we talk about the Word of God, we are a very fortunate generation that has all 66 books. Can you imagine Job going through the trial he went through without the written Word of God? Folks, I'm going to tell you just personally, I don't know how you are. The longer I live, the more I am consoled by one thing, this book. Let me just get in the book. Let me just go to a park. Let me just get away. Let me just drive and turn on my Bible app. All I want to clear my mind and clear out my thoughts, I don't need it to make a phone call to a psychologist or a counselor. Uh, I don't need a seven-day vacation. Oh, what I need is to fill my heart and mind with this book. And it changes my thinking. But can you imagine Job going through what he went through without the Word of God, without a church, without a church body to minister to him, without hymns of the faith, without good Christian music? And he had one book, the one he was writing. That was it. Bless his heart. Now, here's what they did. As these books were written... As the books of the law were written, as the book of Joshua and Judges and Ecclesiastes and Isaiah and Hosea and Joel, as these books were written, they were given to the scribes and they began to make copies. Now, the incredible thing is if you study all the rules that the scribes had to follow in making copies of God's word, it was tedious. How many of you have ever tried to copy a chapter? How many of you have taken the challenge, given by your pastor in January, to take three by five cards or paper or something, a notebook, anything, write down scripture, begin to memorize it. Anybody taken that challenge? Good. Let me just read you a few of uh, the rules that were given to the scribes as they copy the word of God. The parchments must be made from skins of clean animals only. The parchments must be prepared by Jews. The parchments must be bound together by strings taken from clean animals only. Each column of writing must have between 48 and 60 lines. Each column must be lined first. And if three words were written down without line, the whole copy was made worthless and destroyed. The fifth book of Moses must terminate exactly with a line. Ink must be black only, made according to a recipe. Scribes must be clothed in full scribal dress when writing, no word or letter can be written from memory. Pens must be wiped reverently each time the word God is written. The scribe must wash his entire body before writing the name Jehovah God. Rolls must be checked and revised within 30 days or the whole roll becomes worthless. One mistake condemns the entire sheet. Three mistakes on any page condemns the entire manuscript. Do you see how tedious, how careful they were? Now, let me just say this. I'm not counting on that scribe to do his job right. Because he's using the work of God. But guess what? God said, I will preserve my word. Well, don't you think man is capable of making a mistake? Obviously he is. 
But God said, I'm not leaving it up to David or Andrew or Patrick or Tony. I'm not counting on their character or their carefulness. I'm in charge of my word. And I want to make sure every generation gets it. So I will be sure to preserve it. How many understand that? If you don't understand that God's in charge of preservation, you're going to look at this book and say, well, couldn't a man made a mistake? Oh, absolutely man could have made a mistake. God said, in the end, it's not man. I will use man, but I'm not allowing man to be in charge of the perfection or imperfections of this book. I'm in charge of that aspect. Look what it says in 1 Peter 1.23. 1 Peter 1.23. Being born again. How many of you are born again? Are you sure you got saved? Yes. Holy Spirit's living inside of you. You know what the Holy Spirit does? He testifies that this is God's book, doesn't he? But being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. What is the incorruptible seed? The word of God. Look what it says. This is inspiration. How many of you remember when God created Adam and he breathed into him the breath of life? That's inspiration. And here's what God did. He breathed into this book the breath of life. And it says, the word of God which liveth and abideth for one generation. And then after a copy, bless their hearts, no one else will ever know what God meant for man to have. No, forever. All flesh is as grass, all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away. But what's the promise we have? The word of the Lord endureth forever. Amen. Go with me to Jeremiah chapter 36. Now, folks, I need you to do me a favor. I know some of you have heard this subject preached on by your previous pastor, by visiting preachers and by your present pastor. But you should know this so well that you should be able to explain this because for some reason, we have young people going through this church and going through the Christian school and when they get into Bible college, they still don't understand or can't explain inspiration and preservation. You better teach your children, this is the very word of God. He inspired it, he preserved it, now look quickly, Jeremiah chapter 36. This is a key chapter when it comes to the preservation of the word of God. Jeremiah 36 verse 4. God is using Jeremiah to write this book. Then Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Neriah. Baruch wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord which he had spoken unto him upon a roll of a book. You know what he was writing? Jeremiah chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and 4. Jeremiah 36, verse 11. So what happens when Micaiah, the son of Gamariah, the son of Shaphan, had heard out of the book all the words of the Lord, he went down into the king's house into the scribe's chamber. That's what they did with the word of God. They'd immediately take the scribes, put it in the care of the scribes. Verse 13, then Micaiah declared unto them all the words that he had heard when Baruch read the book in the ears of the people. Now, hold on for a minute. God didn't just want the people to hear it. He wanted the king to hear it. Verse 23, it came to pass that when Jehudai had read three or four leaves, he cut it. So how did the king respond? Just like our president would respond if he read this book to him. He would become angry and upset. And this man blatantly, openly took out a knife and began to shred 
the copy of the Word of God. Now, can you imagine if you had taken the time to write a book, tediously and carefully write a book, and the first person you showed it to pulled out a knife and said, I don't care for that at all, and just started cutting it up? Hold on, for it wasn't just good enough, because if we had a book that we had written, cut up, we would start picking up the pieces and try to put it back together to write a new copy. He cut it with a penknife, cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. Now, let me ask you this. Who's in charge of preserving his word, God or man? Now, how do you think Jeremiah felt knowing that the king had just taken the word of God, cut it up, and he had just thrown it into the fire? So I'm thinking, oh, no. Now, what do you think God was doing in heaven? Wringing his hands. I just lost the book of Jeremiah. Great. 36 chapters, and Jeremiah was a slow writer. That was days of work. It's all gone. I, I hope I can remember that. Uh, do we honestly think that? Do we honestly think that's what the modern-day theologian is so idiotic to think that God is so limited he could give man his word and then become desperate when someone decides to cut it up and throw it into a fire. Verse 27. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after that. The king had burned the roll, and the words of Baruch wrote at the mouth of Jeremiah, saying, Take thee again another roll, write in it all the former words that were in the first roll, which Jehoiakim, the king of all Judah, hath burned. Verse 32. Then took Jeremiah another roll, gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote therein from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the book which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire, never missed a word, never missed a beat. And then God said, hold on for a second. You just got chapters 1 through 36. I'm going to give you the rest of the book. And there were added besides unto them many like words. It's called the doctrine of preservation. Aren't you glad? New Testament. What was the New Testament written in? Greek. How did God give the New Testament? He used men. But now instead of being given to scribes, those books were being sent to the churches. The churches were making copies. And the churches probably weren't quite as tedious as the scribes were. But was God concerned? Why? Because the church is not the custodian. God is the custodian of his word. God intended for every generation to get his word. Psalms 100 verse 5 Psalms 100 verse 5 says, For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, His truth endureth, how many generations? To all generations. Here's the problem. Turn to Amos and we'll be done. Amos 8.11. You know what? It may take a few of you a couple hours to get there, so just go to Revelation. That's the last book in the Bible. Revelation 22. I'll read you Amos 8.11. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread nor of thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. How many understand we're living in that day and age? The famine. You even go to churches now, they don't want the word of the Lord. They don't want scripture. You know what? People don't want to come on a Wednesday night like we just did tonight and look at 25 passages. There's a famine, there's a dearth. People don't want to hear the word of God. 
The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. If we can't handle a paper cut, how in the world are we going to handle being sliced up by a two-edged sword? Because we know when we come to this house and the word of God is open up, there's serious surgery going on. God is so serious about his word. Look what he says. Revelation 22, 18 and 19. I testify unto you, every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. I had someone ask me one time, you think Westcott and Hort were saved? Uh, did you read that? You don't fiddle with this book. You don't mess around with the Word of God. You mess with this book, and God will mess with your mind. You want to watch Christians go crazy? You know where it starts? They start to doubt the inspiration and preservation of this book. 